0: Hi, uh, is it okay if we if we sit here? Is this the proper place?
1: Sure, go ahead and have a seat. Thank you. So, me and my wife, we have been working very hard to save up money and, you know, we're ready to be homeowners. <gasps> you know, I think we're ready to take that step. It's crazy. It's, it's crazy. so exciting. I know. I, so know. Exciting. I just met her last week, but it's <laughs> we're, we're really excited to start this new time of our lives. I'm so excited for you guys.
0: Oh, okay. Well, we did have a few questions. Is that okay? I, I wrote them down here.
2: Yeah, sure. Hit me.
0: Um, so so question number one, we want to make a 20% down payment on the house that we're going with. Uh, it's this really, really beautiful palace. We're so excited. Um, we just want to know how much time it's going to take us to sort of amass that down payment. We don't want to lose this house.
2: Oh, sure. Let me uh, run the numbers here real quick. It appears that it's going to take you 21 years.
3: Are you 21
1: sure? Years? Are, you ran that right? Let me check. Yep, it's right. In the 1970s, it only took my mom and dad five years to get a house, a 20% down payment. Why is, why does it take so long?
0: I don't understand.
1: 21 years, that's that's longer than my first marriage.
2: Well, it's, it's 2021 now. It's not 1970 anymore. I don't know what to tell you.
0: So you're- names the facts. We both make the national average income, and you're telling me it's going to take me 21 years for us to get this house.
2: Ma'am, have you even been alive 21 years?
0: Yes, and, and and why are you asking me that? I'm asking you a very simple question.
2: Well, take your lifetime and double it, and that's how long it's going to take you to save up enough money to afford a down payment for this house. I'm just going to live in an
1: apartment forever. That sounds a lot easier.
0: Renting for life.
1: Running for life, baby. <laughs>
0: Scene, guys! Welcome to the show. We're happy to be here, Will, Amala, and Taylor. We're gonna get right into the first story. No, no, no breaks. Was no too hesitation. Mean as a bank
1: teller, I felt pretty.
0: Like, you know, a jerk. It feels that. pretty. Were you, a,
1: were you a bank teller or were you a banker? Because banker, it was a, it was a <laughs> yeah, not a teller. <laughs> <laughs> I want, I want my down payment in ones. <laughs> I'm going to Vegas, baby.
0: No, I, I like, I like the stance that you took with the character.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah, it very was good. Deadpan.
0: It was okay. nuance. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Uh, So into our first story here, again, our beloved Christopher Rufo coming at us with the hot CRT scoops. He came out with another scoop yesterday, and this one is out of Bank of America Corporation. The tweet here reads, Bank of America Corporation teaches employees that the United States is a system of white supremacy, promotes the the abolishment of the police, and instructs workers to decolonize their minds and become woke at work.
1: Decolonize their minds. What does that even mean? How do you decolonize your mind? I don't know. I, I hear stupid phrases like this all the time about decolonizing your mind or erasing yourself of whiteness. And these things mean absolutely nothing. It's a way so that they can come on and virtue signal, like making it sound like you're actually doing something, but it's not testable to decolonize your mind. You can make, if someone is an actual racist, if you took a KKK person, right, and they are actually racist and they hate black people and all these people, and you said decolonize your mind, they wouldn't know what to do. They wouldn't know how to change anything. But if you told them and said, you know, we want you to not hate African-Americans, then you can maybe actually make some progress. But these types of blanket statements that they make about this woke virtue signaling training, the things that they always try and say make absolutely no sense. Decolonizing your mind means nothing. means nothing.
0: Yeah, here's the effort here. It's it's an effort again. It's it's the same language as white people are inherently racist or that they hold on subconscious bias or just bias that they can't quite recognize in their own minds. It's this effort to label you and say that because you were born white, and I guess for me that's that's fifty percent of myself, because I was born fifty percent white, I'm fifty percent racist and I'm fifty percent colonized in my brain. So I need to actively work as as part of the white community to to decolonize that section of my mind. Which, of course, is impossible because it doesn't exist. Uh, Your your minds are not colonized. You don't have this sort of unconscious bias. You are not inherently racist, but it's an effort to pigeonhole you and and make you believe that you are.
1: No half of your mind has been, you know, half of your mind is the conquistadors and half of your mind is being ravaged by smallpox blankets.
0: Right. I'm like amazed that I can even speak right now when both sides of my white and black mind are fighting each other. You're
1: at a crossroads for sure. A quandary, Uh, if you will. Every day, every day of my life. A teepee.
0: It's, it's really tough. Uh, we have some whistleblower documents out of Bank of America that are going to show exactly what they're teaching. Here's one. Uh, race and racial identity. Although race has no genetic or scientific basis, the concept of race is important and consequential. Societies use race to establish and justify systems of power, privilege, disenfranchisement, and oppression. Mm-hmm. Oh, but of course. Of course. Because what else would they do with the concepts of race and racial identity? I'll
1: I have things to say
0: once we go through these <laughs> You have things to <laughs> let's say? Let's go through the documents first. Sure, let's go through a little bit more. Uh, another standard in these sort of CRT-based training documents for employees is privilege exercises. And maybe one of these days we'll do a video where we truly go through and dive deep into what privileges Will and Taylor have that I don't. But here's, here's a privilege test that you can take. So that's great. Love it. Uh, it's, always, it's always good to start your employment with a privilege test. Next one is white privilege. And here are different examples of how white people exercise their privilege in, on the day-to-day basis. Here's one. I can take a job with an affirmative action employer without having my coworkers on the job suspect that I got it because of my race. Wow. Do you guys feel privileged because of that?
1: How do you feel, Taylor? I feel pretty chill. <laughs> not going to lie.
0: <laughs> I feel I, pretty good about it.
1: Yeah. I. It's a means to shame people. It is. I want to look at myself as an individual, not as a white person. Mm-hmm. I wish leftists on Twitter would stop looking at me as a white person or a straight person or someone like that. I want people to look at me at my ideas, you know, just like I want women to stop looking at me as a you know sex icon with a mustache it's the same thing oh, i want gosh. people to look at me for my ideas not for and my individuality not for these unchangeable characteristics about me
0: oh it must be so hard will oh, my God. tell me how hard it is to accosted be you.
1: Constantly.
0: <laughs> here are some more well, examples also, i'm just trying
2: to work out how backwards it is that like Woke white people came up with this idea of excluding equally, quali- equally or overqualified white people from jobs in favor of other people. And then they're calling it white privilege that you have a, a job where people don't question why you got it. You know right. What I mean? You it's created like, like, yeah, the circumstances cr- <laughs> exactly. for us to question
0: the validity of your hiring. Yes. <laughs>
2: it's like. So yeah, I don't understand. Like they created white unprivileged and then they're like, but you're still privileged because now you're questioning why someone got this job. It's like, it's a web of contradictions.
0: Oh my, here's an an amazing slide. This one's going to blow the last one out of the water. How to tell if you have white fragility. Take our quiz to find out if you exhibit white fragility traits. Now, how do you test this? Well, there's a prompt here. It says, which of these feelings have you had when someone has suggested that something you've said or done might be racist? If you felt singled out guilty judged scared attacked ashamed accused outraged or a slew of other things each one of those feelings uh is a point towards your your fragility as a white person wow
2: hey you should be like if you call me racist i should be like thank you for calling me racist i
1: will work on that
0: <laughs> yes. in
2: educating
1: myself oh my goodness i didn't mean to call these people a Second class citizen, I'll definitely work on it. <laughs> like, how are you supposed to feel when someone calls you a racist?
0: I am so sorry I asked to touch your hair. I will go home and read several books about the significance of black hair braiding, and then I will get right back to you.
1: I'm gonna go to Africa and learn all about black people because <laughs> I I offended this person at HR in my workplace.
0: Oh, it's just amazing. And now this is happening in your average everyday workplace in America.
1: But the thing okay, here's where I'm gonna go in. All right, we're going to go in. Go. Bank of America is Merrill Lynch. You guys know that. Bank of America and Merrill Lynch Lynch are two of the same thing. Merrill Lynch was directly involved in the 2008 financial crisis by selling CDOs to people. They sold them. They bought a ton of loans, a ton of mortgages, knowing that they were deficient, knowing that they were defective, packaging them up as securities, selling them to people, knowing that they were defective, okay? Mm -hmm. And they're selling them to all types of people across America. What did that do? It bankrupted the United States. It bankrupted the United States, put us into a financial mess because of rich bankers at Merrill Lynch and Bank of America. So these people coming on and virtue signaling and saying, oh, we really care about black people and white fragility. Well, they're still doing the same thing now, okay? People don't know that they're doing basically the same thing now with different types of CDOs and stuff and basically selling us out. And so these people who say that they want to help Minorities or actually want to help these different types of people. You are the ones that have made it harder for minorities in this country to own any sort of equity.
0: Some might say they have disenfranchised a marginalized group in our society.
1: Well, that's exactly what they've done, because when you make it so that people can't buy houses, look, Merrill Lynch is also owned by BlackRock, okay? Merrill Lynch is owned by BlackRock. You know what else BlackRock owns? BlackRock BlackRock owns Comcast, Times Warner, Disney, AT&T, or at least the top owners in this, News Corporation, accounts for 90% of the main media that we watch in America, okay? And BlackRock owns that. BlackRock owns Merrill Lynch, the largest investment firm uh, essentially in the world. And so what you have, they own the New York Times too, and so what you have is essentially, you're not getting this information out there, no one is talking about this, and I have to tell this that this is my position, I I can't say it's a PragerU position, okay, I have to just make sure that I say this about this, or someone might be mad at me, but I have to come on and say this, but these people come and they're buying up single-unit homes in america okay they're coming and buying up single-unit homes and turning them into rental properties single-family homes are now being turned into rental properties by corporations by asset firms like blackrock which owns merrill lynch and you know what happens when you buy up single-family homes and turn them into rental properties, it means that minorities in America, in these communities, can't have any equity because there aren't any houses left for them to buy. So you're actually hurting minorities, hurting black people, and hurting all Americans. So they come on and distract you and they say, we care about this woke stuff. We care about this woke garbage that we're going to push on you and that everyone has to take this white diversity training. They don't give a crap about any of that because behind closed doors and what they're doing, essentially with all of their assets that people invest in, are turning around and hurting minorities, hurting all Americans with the shady practices they're doing if you guys don't know much about BlackRock and the investment firms and Wall Street in general the people at Wall Street and BlackRock to me are the worst people in America What the, the, and they're selling out this country they're destroying America so I I can talk more about it if anyone wants to hear me more about it but that's I'll, I'll stop here but You guys can look up more stuff about it, okay? Look up the stuff that they own. AT&T, New York Times. This is why you don't hear anything about it, okay? This is why Vox, Vox News, you guys know Vox News. Vox News comes out with an article that says, oh, it's fine if, it's actually good if these big corporations are buying out single-family homes. You know why they're doing that? Because one of the main people in Vox on their board is on BlackRock's board. (laughs)
0: They're bought and paid.
1: They're bought and paid for. And then they convince people that all of these horrible things that are happening are actually good for you. So just do a little digging and some research on this and like know that these corporations that come out that say that they care about this wokeness and white privilege and stuff, they, they don't care at all.
0: Right. And think about the corporations that back uh, the, these leftist views, because more often than not, they are not backing them in their practices. And this is a prime example of that. We did a story before on American Express Corporation and them talking about how they're starting to implement CRT and how capitalism is inherently a white supremacist uh, ideology, a white supremacist uh, economy. And it makes absolutely no sense to me that American Express Corporation would be trying to communicate that to the American people. Of course, they don't agree with that. Of course, their entire company, their entire corporation runs on uh, capitalism. So kudos to all the people who were in my comment section and in the comment section when we covered the story saying that they were going to be canceling their Amex cards. That's exactly what you should be doing uh, to corporations that try to push this ideology full well knowing that they're not practicing that in their in their day to day. And that well, they are I mean, disenfranchising not not just black people, not just people of color. They are disenfranchising American citizens.
1: Yeah, I mean, trying to find a a Wall Street company or a Wall Street investment firm that actually supports your values is basically impossible. Okay, they're yeah, like, but there I mean, pretty much isn't anything there. If they're
0: gonna be this blatantly outward with the fact yeah. that they're trying to CRT train and make their employees woke, it's just is. Oh,
1: no, I know. I hate to see it. Listen, I, do I hate too. to see it. I hate it too. <laughs> Nothing makes. This kind of stuff makes me the angriest. I know. For sure.
0: So I've noticed.
1: Well, I think it makes me the angriest because it's people don't know about it. No one knows that it's happening because, again, like I said, the media companies are all bought out. So they're not reporting on any of this. And so people don't know that this is happening. And we're going to get into this next story. Mm -hmm. If you want to, we could pull it up about. Yeah. Let's heat up. With what we started this today's skit on today about how long it takes for you to. Get a home in America today where in the 1970s uh, it took, you know, not nearly as long, maybe five years, five yeah. years to save up for a, a home at a 20 percent uh, down payment. Now it's taking 21 years for you to save up for a home.
0: Yeah, I'm going to try to zoom in on this table for you guys to be able to see it. But the tweet here uh, that we recognize this from is a a 2020 study from the U.S. mortgage insurers estimated that given prevailing wages, saving rates and housing prices, it would take 21 years for an American earning the median U.S. salary to save for a 20 percent down payment on a median priced house.
1: Yeah, well, wages are stagnated in this country. Wages have stayed the same since essentially the 1990s. As more people have gotten into the workforce, women, more immigrants. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but more women and immigrants have gotten into mm-hmm. the workforce. It has made a, a less of a demand for labor. So labor is not such an important thing for people when there are so many people willing to work. And so then the value of labor goes down. But the price of rent, especially when we have this inflation that's happening right now, that's been happening for a long time because our national debt keeps increasing because we keep spending and not knowing mm. what we're doing. Then labor stays the same, wages stay the same, but rent, housing, uh, healthcare, education, all of those things skyrocket. So people no longer have the money to invest in single unit homes. And again, single unit homes, real estate, land ownership, this is the cornerstone of becoming an adult and someone who is a responsible American. Because right. that's, that's how you build equity. If you want to build equity as an American, you buy land, you buy a home, you, you have something like that that you are investing in. Right. And so if people yeah. not having the ability to do that, because of all this horrible stuff, makes it incredibly difficult to have an America that is going to continue to rise economically.
0: But don't worry, if you just want to make a five percent down payment, it'll only take you seven years. And that's assuming that you make the US median salary. Right. So seventy well, percent of
1: millennials are living paycheck to paycheck.
0: There's gold in them, their hills, and I'm gonna get it or die trying. Well oh, man. <laughs> That's so sad.
1: uh, That's why it's aggravating, because I want America to succeed. I want the young people who come on my Twitter and Instagram and tell me that I'm racist to say, wait, maybe he's not racist. Maybe he just doesn't care about the stupid race baiting stuff that these horrible people talk about every day and knows that there's bigger issues going on that we should really be focused on that I would love to agree with them with.
0: And this is something that we can agree on, whether you're a leftist or a conservative, that it should not be this difficult to buy property in the United States. And as a young person, if you had shown me this three years ago, I would have attributed that to to capitalism. I would have contributed that to conservatives. I would have contributed that to our society. So it's not it's not unfathomable for me to see young people who look at stats like this, that it's going to take them 21 years to to buy a house uh, if they save and and they make a good salary and then become completely a disillusioned with everything uh, that it means to be an American and be part of the American dream. It's no wonder we are we are making this young generation of, of leftists. When you, you see this, you see this coupled with the mainstream media and everything that they get on social media, their brains are completely devolving. And then you get to see this on top of it. There's no dream. There's no hope when you read things like this.
1: You will own nothing and you will be happy. Right. That's essentially what it is. And then we have the most unhealthy society in the world, in America, along with people not having any equity, any money. I mean, the, the future can look bleak for a lot of people. So where should young people turn if not to leftism? Well, they have to turn. The, the, the main focus of leftism is the collective mindset. Mm-hmm. The collective mindset tells you that if we all work together for the greater good, things are going to get better. Where the real thing that people should be looking to is saying, I as an individual, I am a great person and I am going to improve myself and the situations around me for myself, my family and my inner room community. Right. Where it's, it's the individual mindset and being a fighter and someone who stands up for their own values and freedoms is to me much stronger than someone who says I am going to put the good of society above the good of the individual.
0: Right, and when you wake up and and you find the players behind this and you find the truth, that's a super empowering thing and that can give you a a lot of happiness and fulfillment and that's what happened with me. When I was on the left, I was super unhappy and then I came to conservatism and and learned those values and I realized, okay, well, there's a lot of stuff that is within my control and although we have these major players who are working at the detriment of our our dreams and our daily lives, there are so many things that are are great in this country and great in this world that we can focus on whereas uh, with leftism, I found that I was just completely angry at everything and everyone. Yep. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well the, there's so much good about this country. The founding of this country is I mean the best founding in history the way that our constitution is the way that this country was supposed to be right. But people have taken those ideas, right. What's happening is,
2: them. is anti-American. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's, the, exactly. it's corporatism and that itself is anti-American. It's not liberty and justice for all it's in, it's unjust and you're taking away people's opportunity. And so the mm-hmm. solution is to lean harder into the values that we cherish and espouse them even harder. And, uh, you know, believe in what we believe in, believe in freedom, believe in liberty and justice for all. Um, Even harder and promote those things and speak out and and hold our leadership locally from the local level all the way to the top, like hold them accountable, speak out and speak the truth and expose these people who are exploit using loopholes and exploiting things and and doing things to their own own
1: benefit. Um, You know, like crony capitalism is not a good thing. No, no, it's the worst thing. Yeah. Yeah. And we have. In society, we have these alpha men. Like, think about someone who's an alpha that you know. Maybe it's your dad. Maybe it's someone you know who's like a a real leader. And the alpha, Simon Sinek did a good talk on this, so I'm kind of paraphrasing some things he said, but I want to share with you guys because it was really good. Where the alpha will go out, like people praise the alpha. He gets more women. He gets more money. Like, this is what the alpha does. He's a leader. And so the responsibilities of the alpha is that when something bad happens in society, the alpha goes out and tries to protect the people who are not alphas, right? That's kind of what the alphas roll. You look at that in the animal kingdom, you look at yep. in the human. But what's wrong with the crony capitalism is that these people have achieved quote-unquote alpha status, but instead of being people who protect the people who are not the alpha, they take advantage of them. And that's why there's such a hatred for these types of people, because they have achieved this alpha status while also taking other people down and Basically, when push comes to shove to protect America or help mm-hmm. them, they turn their back on them and screw them over as much as they possibly can to increase their own wealth and power.
0: Right. And I think that is what a lot of people on the left are disillusioned by. And they attribute that to conservatism. They contribute that right. to the political right. Exactly. right. and that is not what the political right is that is not what conservatism is about and what i find is the true difference uh, like what you said taylor what what do people have to hope for and and what is the what is the true choice it's like with leftism you are disillusioned you're angry at america you're not look you're not happy with where this country is going but you have no direction for where you think it should go and you have all these people who try to take advantage of that and say well socialism is the answer communism is the answer just let just the activism. government handle it yeah. yeah leftist
2: yeah. activism where it's like we yeah. need to dismantle this system and all that stuff that that resonates because you you see this corruption happening and you're like yeah we do need to dismantle all this stuff but they conflate uh, the corruption that's going on with the American dream itself and exactly. the American ideals themselves. Yeah. And that is the, and it's, that's an easier answer than no, you still need to be proud personal responsibility. You still need to have hard work. You still need to be honest. You still need to have virtue. Um, but that is, that's not as sexy of a message. And it's, it's so easy to just be angry and then be like, yeah, if you're angry, go raise your fist up and go march through the streets and say we need to burn things down and tear them down. Like, right. and, and people just jump to that. But, that just leads to nihilism.
0: Yeah, and then the burden for us is being like, no, the answer is right here. Like, look at the Constitution, look at the Declaration of Independence. It's right here. It's right yeah. here. And it's so easy for for somebody on the left, and this is the stance that I took, to say, well, we tried that. We we did that before. It didn't. It clearly didn't work.
1: Well, it's funny. Look at Nazi Germany. I'll ask a question. Should be a pretty obvious question. In Nazi Germany, were there anti-Nazi newspapers? Were there anti-Nazi uh, news organizations? Were there anti-Nazi academic institutions? No, of course not. There weren't yep. anti-communist institutions in mm-hmm. Russia or in China either, right? But these people on the left, which is so funny, that apparently America its founding all of the institutions in America like Hollywood, academia, uh, the mainstream media, all these things are founded in racism, yet all of these institutions actively talk about this leftism, socialism, and racism all the time. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you think that if you lived in a real oppressive society, that was pushing you down, pushing down liberal, progressive people. That none of the major institutions in this country would cover it, right? Wouldn't they say we're going to silence this type of speech, right? Why is it that conservatives are the one being censored, and that conservatives aren't the one that are present within these mainstream institutions? Like, and in people talking about leftists as the party, or conservatives are the party of the rich old white men. In 2016, places like Aspen, Colorado, one of the the richest districts in America, went 45 points up for Hillary Clinton. 45 points up, all the major districts in in Washington, D.C. that are incredibly wealthy went for Hillary Clinton. I mean, (laughs) these are the richest people in America, and you can look at like nine of the ten richest places in America all went for the left. The left are the party of the elites. The left are the people who are the rich ones who are taking advantage of you. It is not the conservatives, and that is why the leftists own all the institutions in America and then tell you that you're oppressed so that you have an enemy. And that enemy is people who love freedom. That is people like Taylor, Amala, and I.
0: Very true. And that's a perfect segue into our next story. But before that, I'm going to get into some super chats. We got some from Mary Burge. She says, I love your show. Yesterday, you talked about robots in China. There's a Chinese company that hires Americans to teach English over Skype. Currently, they are making teachers into holograms from videos uh, from class unknowingly. Spooky. That is very interesting. Into AI holograms.
1: Hmm. Holograms are scary, too.
2: I just saw, I think, who was it? Facebook or someone just put out a new technology where you can have like meetings through vr and like so everyone has their vr goggles and you like walk into uh, a, meet, like in a conference room, room or something oh, and, uh, i don't look like at it. each other from your home uh, i yeah. don't
0: like it See, i just got like chills thinking about just that. like
1: we we're talking about like we have the technology to do these things but is it good for us is it good for no. us to go vr conference rooms
0: no it's not
1: and do like ready player one for all of our meetings and stuff Unless I can turn into a T Rex in the conference room, I don't really want to do it.
0: <laughs> cool. Next one from Lydia Waters: She said, "I got a video recommended me t- to me by YouTube that says PragerU lies to you in air quotes, uh, with cartoons of black slaves and George Washington. I don't want to give it leverage/slash views. Could you guys deconstruct it on air? It's actually a great, yeah,
2: great We idea. watch that video. We see there, there. These videos come out all the time. They do. It's, it's like a lot of them were." Much bigger than them. And so it just gives them more attention. Um, so it's not worth the time. Yeah.
1: But There's the same know. arguments we've heard a thousand times, yeah. you know.
0: Okay. It's next one from this very long name that is hard to pronounce True Nanasha Bada Pressure, Bada Kefaker.
1: same one from yesterday. <laughs>
0: yes. The same yeah. guy from yesterday. He says, You really should learn how to pronounce my name since it's two of the most important things a uh, certain politician, our sitting president, has said. Love y'all. It makes total sense now oh, that so, I know so. the premise no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> come on man uh, another one from Michael Riley yo it's Metal Mike with another daily super chat white privilege is just a name calling tool used by unoriginal and unorganized uh, gotta go wielding steel at the moment
1: Metal Mike <laughs> I love that Metal Michael Mike, Riley, ben and Steel
0: amazing have a great day Michael and on to our next story which will you perfectly uh, teed up talking about censorship here is a poll out of Pew Research Center roughly half Half of U.S. adults, 48%, now say the government should take steps to restrict false information online, even if it means losing some freedoms to access and public content. Wow. And that's up from 39% in 2018. So in a matter of two and a half years now, we've gone from 39% supporting censorship to 48%. This is Pew? This is Pew.
1: Pew. Pew's always been pretty good. I I will... If you guys want real information, I've always thought the Pew was a very good resource. People ask me for, you know, resources on stuff. Pew's actually, for the most part that I've seen, has always been pretty good about this type of stuff.
3: Um,
0: and this is a sad reality. So yeah. what
1: do you think about Pew's information, Will? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: We're covering on this
1: I story. <laughs> I don't have any thoughts. I only think about what Pew is, okay? <laughs> no, it's wild. I mean, I've gone to rallies and marches and people and interviewed people, and they're actually there marching to have their rights taken away. Without understanding what That's that wild. means for them, yeah.
2: I I referenced this a few weeks ago. Maybe I'll post it. But um, I came across a, a a video by John Piper, who's like a theologian on Instagram um, last week, and he talked about he was talking about in 2008, uh, talking about well, the breakdown of absolute truth in our culture and how we no longer have we no longer value objective truth and absolute truth. And what happens when if I if I have a an argument and you have an argument, absolute truth is the arbiter between us that mm-hmm. I can appeal to truth and say, well, this is true. This is objectively true. So therefore you're wrong. But if, if you have your truth and I have my truth, then there's no arbiter that can help us. And the only thing left is force. So I have to force my opinion on you. And it's a competition now, not for who's right, according to the truth and reason. It's a competition for who can get power to put the other side into submission. And so what I see from this is when it goes from 38% uh, would support suppressing the other side to 48% Forty-eight percent in just two years or three years. Uh-huh. That's just showing how quickly our the a, a truth has broken down in our society and the, the the misinformation and the censorship and the you you know no one trusts the information we can get anymore and so people are just becoming like very quick to grasp for power so that you can suppress the people that you disagree with because I want, at the end of the day, if I can't win through the argument because there's no mechanism to win the argument mm-hmm. by with truth, then I just need to make sure I'm on the winning side and suppress the people that I disagree with.
0: Right, and another part of this is this whole campaign of that speech is violence and silence is violence and all this stuff surrounding what you can and cannot say and what what I think people fail to recognize with this is this means that 48% of, of U.S. adults believe in an authoritarian Measure and I don't think people view uh, censoring speech as a violation of rights anymore. They don't see that as a, an infringement on the First Amendment anymore, and they certainly don't see it as any sort of authoritarian or totalitarian measure.
1: Yeah, well, you get beaten down so much, and then you think that that's the norm—getting beat every single day down. You know, people standing right. up for free speech and saying that we want no censorship—it gets—it gets—it gets old after a while. You know, Prager, you—we're always fighting against censorship. It's happened mm-hmm. to us all the time all the time and it's like all the time we're posting about how we're being censored on some new platform or something else is censored and it's like we're like oh my goodness do we really have to post this again but it's like yeah we do have to post it again because it keeps happening and we have to keep showing awareness to it but it's like some people you know they get beat down so much censor 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 ban 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 and you're like well whatever
2: you know Uh, you posted all
1: the times you've been banned by TikTok or like all the (laughs) violations on your
2: page it's
0: like eight pages it's like
2: eight pages scrolling through I was like oh my goodness like they're just after you.
0: And it's coupled with a, a few things. It's as, as the person who is being censored, you get demoralized and demotivated to even try again because you've been beaten down so many times by the same platform for the same discussion or for the same subject matter. So you don't want to try. And then as people viewing it on the outside who should be concerned about c- censorship, who should be outraged, who should be advocating for the people who are being censored. They see it so often that they don't care anymore. It sort of loses its, uh, its vibrancy. It loses its feeling and it's, it's become normalized so now censorship is just a normal day of everybody's life
1: yeah they're like whatever why yeah. not censor these people they're saying things i don't agree with the truth hurts the truth is evil so we should censor it yeah. or at least censor just difference of opinion
2: so
0: yeah that's 40, that is not how 40 the world percent is of americans
1: that's one in two people
0: that is
2: it just shows how effective the people who push this propaganda have been too and you're talking about before like how they, they occupy all of these institutions and they're pumping out this propaganda that says, you know, well, objectivity is white supremacy. Mm-hmm. So if there's no objectivity, then how can we have a rational argument and let the best ideas win out in, the, in a free market of ideas? You can't because who cares about objectivity and that's what postmodernism is. Everything is truth becomes relative and subjective and uh, there's an infinite ways of interpreting things. And you, how dare you step on my truth? And this is the stuff that has been pumped into academia. It's been taught to our kids. It's been in our movies and everything for the last, you know, I don't know, 50 years. Mm -hmm. I mean, increasing measure, and it's reached critical mass. I think in the last five years, since 2015, it's gotten like, so now it's just shameless. Like I was talking with my fiance the other day and like, um, she was, I was like, when you were a teacher, she was a teacher in Atlanta area and high school teacher, like five in 2014, 2015. And I was like, had you ever had a kid come to you with their pronouns Mm -hmm. or, you know, say what, what gender they are um, or how they self identify, whatever. And she's like, I'd never heard of that. Just think of that. Think of how normal it is right now and how often we hear this stuff everywhere and how just it's taken as a matter of fact that this is just what's true and what's righteous and what's good to affirm people's gender identity and all that stuff. And it was, it didn't even exist like Five years ago.
0: Yeah, so don't don't never fall into the trick of thinking that the left is stupid. At least the elitist left. They're not stupid. They know exactly what they're doing and they've been doing it for decades now. The things that are coming to fruition in today's time, the things that you hear on the news tomorrow or the day after or the day after that are are things that have been planned for decades. This is not anything that is uh, that should be new. And there there are elitists who have planned every single step of this, everything, every single step of the way of of infiltrating our society. And I yeah, I just want to make that distinction because the the average leftist person that you meet who supports this sort of ideology or or supports leftist values. Uh, is not the mastermind behind this it's these elitist leftists who are putting these things in place and the people the average leftist that you meet on the street who support these things are just people who have been tricked by the elite so it's a very unfortunate uh situation to be in
1: Yeah, exactly the elite trick the normal people that they're downtrodden and then blame it on other people Uh, yeah right
2: it's i mean it's like the same thing as how totalitarian regimes like china and and, uh, soviet russia would make the average people rat on each other and you know like they would brainwash them and say or just pressure them socially to hey reinforce this ideology on everybody because if you don't you're going to be you're going to have a target on your back and i think so much of what we're seeing with like the woke policing and thought police type stuff is just people who don't want the target on their back that oh well i'm i'm, I'm not the racist that that guy he said something that was you know he culturally appropriated that you know, cuisine. So I'm going after him. right? And and then you get virtue points for being the one that rats someone else out. And it's just this culture where people aren't them. They're honest selves. They're being manipulated by the, the people who are pushing these ideas to
1: control them. It's hard to understand that people could be that evil, you know, like Mao or someone, how can you be that? Absolutely mm-hmm. evil. I mean,
2: were you going to, what that, that's a perfect segue into whatever. Yeah, my, we can say Grow throwback Thursday segment. Yeah,
0: let's do it. This one is for Taylor. Let me go ahead and get it queued up for you. Taylor's going to go over Karl Marx today.
2: Speaking of how can people possibly be so evil? (laughs) um, No, I've been watching. We do a a Throwback Thursday segment once a week. Or, you know, I guess we're starting to. Um, So on this week, I I, uh, have been watching a lot of documentaries lately. And most recently on Mao. Just because we see a lot about... um, you know, Stalin, and the most about Hitler, of course. But um, I've watched a lot of Stalin documentaries in recent weeks, and then I was like, well, I don't know that much about Mao. So I first I did search on Netflix for a Mao documentary. Guess what? There are none, Mm. which...
0: I mean, China. that's, yeah, that it, that's a really to surprise the, you. yeah But China. I just thought that
2: was an interesting fact. But anyway, I finally stuck one down and um, just you're reading about um, the great leap forward and how he starved tens of millions of his own people. And but basically, I found this through line and you can see, I think, on your screen here yep. that, you know, if you trace back from like, OK, so Karl Marx's ideas informed Lenin and mm-hmm. f- to w- to undertake the Russian Revolution, right? And that was taken over by Stalin, who committed his atrocities. Mm -hmm. And Stalin helped empower Mao to win his civil war against Chiang Kai-shek and the Chinese Nationalists. And Mao is the one who committed his atrocities. And Mao is now the one propping up uh, the Kim regime in North Korea. And they have an active concentration camp where they're oppressing 25 million people so i put the numbers below estimates put stalin's regime at killing 20 to 30 million people maus to 45 to 70 million kim at 25 million and uh that's a lot of evil mm-hmm. that is immeasurable evil and so it all traces back to the ideas of Karl Marx. And so I thought we could take a look at PragerU's five-minute video on Karl Marx um, to look at his life and his ideas, and then we can kind of dissect them for a minute.
0: Absolutely.
1: Taylor, I was hoping that you would explain the ideas.
0: <laughs>
1: this is Paul Kengor, right, in this video? Sure.
3: Yeah. I <laughs> Here we go. I'm pretty sure. Ideas have consequences, sometimes good, sometimes bad, and sometimes catastrophic, like the ideas of Karl Marx. Born in Trier, Germany in 1818, Marx didn't invent communism but it was on his ideas that Lenin and Stalin built the Soviet Union, Mao built communist China, and innumerable other tyrants from the Kims in North Korea to the Castro's in Cuba built their communist regimes. Ultimately, those regimes and movements calling themselves Marxist murdered about 100 million people and enslaved more than a billion Marx believed that workers, specifically those who did manual labor, were exploited by capitalists, the people who owned, as Marx put it, the means of production, specifically factories, but who did very little physical labor themselves. Only a worker's revolution, Marx wrote in Das Kapital, could correct this injustice. What would that revolution look like? Marx and his collaborator Friedrich Engels spelled it out point by point in the Communist Manifesto. It included the abolition of property and inheritance and the centralization of credit, communication and transport in the hands of the state.
0: Have any of you heard this before? Does it sound parallel to our current society? And I'm sure most of you are aware of this, but for for those of you who aren't familiar with the, the words of Marx and the ideas of Marx, this should sound eerily similar to modern times. I, I can't count on on two hands the amount of times that i've heard uh people say that capitalism is just a means of exploiting people
2: well that's just because you don't understand that real
1: marxism has never been tried <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. a,
2: we that's just haven't argument.
0: done it right yet
1: i i think if i did marxism i'd do it right oh yeah give me a chance <laughs> come on america just I got just make
0: me your leader yeah. please i, I promise already, i will not usurp every ounce of power that i can
1: i already look the part
0: You do,
3: that's true.
1: Stalin in a Hawaiian shirt.
0: You do have that, you do have that. Let's continue.
3: (laughs) And a lot more along the same lines. In other words, the state owns and controls pretty much everything. This notion was widely discussed and debated in European intellectual circles during Marx's lifetime, but nothing much came of it until Vladimir Lenin took power in Russia in 1917. This changed everything. Despite its repeated economic failures, Lenin's Russia, which became known as the Soviet Union, became the model for dictators around the world. Wherever Marx's ideas were practiced, life got worse. Not by a little, but by a lot. There is not a single exception to this rule. Not the Soviet Union, not Eastern Europe, not China, not North Korea, not Vietnam, not Cuba, not Venezuela, not Bolivia, not Zimbabwe. Wherever Marxism goes, economic collapse, terror and famine follow. So, if cataclysmic failure, meaning terrible human suffering, is the inevitable legacy of Marxism, why do so many people, and now especially young people, defend it? The most common answer Marxism's advocates offer is that they, whoever they are, Lenin, Stalin, Chavez, never really practiced Marxism. They all somehow got it wrong. Marxism, we are told, is, at its essence, about sharing what we have, from each according to his ability, to each according to his needs. It is how how would Marx feel if he was
0: alive today, knowing that so many times his ideology has been tried, yet people still hold him on this pedestal of 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 thought.
1: Well, this is why I love Nietzsche because Nietzsche hated Marx.
0: There you go. He thought his ideas
1: were detestable.
0: This is just it's just crazy to me that it, uh, it doesn't matter how many examples you give of this being uh, carried out and, and creating famine and poverty and death that people still hold this man dear. I, I don't know what it is that makes the, the right. ideology hold it's
1: because of the postmodernism and the postmodernism gets involved with the mainstream media and the institutions and the universities that tells people that it's the bourgeois and the capitalists that are destroying America and that Marxism just has to be tried one more time.
2: Well, like. Yeah. It appeals it's like in a lot of ways I think it's kind of like the anti Judeo Christian narrative about Well
1: it's a separate religion. Beings.
2: Yeah. Um but it's predicated. In large part, it's predicated on this idea that if it weren't for, if you just removed all the oppressive capitalists um, and removed all the barriers from people, people are basically good. And given that opportunity, they would voluntarily and willingly spread the fruits of everyone's labor across everyone. And you can, if you predicated a society on that idea, it'll work and it'll be utopian. If you, what well, The only thing keeping it from working is the oppressors. And that's false because mm. it fundamentally misunderstands human nature. Humans are by nature are selfish in Mm -hmm. some to some degree and act in their own rational self-interest like we talked about the other day and that's what that's why capitalism works because it's predicated on the idea that people will act in their own rational self-interest right and that's not to say we talked already about the uh, the excesses of capitalism that doesn't that's why you need a virtuous people as well who will be constrained by morality but because Marxism does not work. It's predicated on a faulty assumption. In order to uh, build a society on that idea, what do you have to do? You have to impose it mm-hmm. um, by force over people and remove their ability to choose it because they're not going to act that way by nature. And so, that why, so that's why, you know, the common denominator in all these failures is that idea that, you know, it's a fundamental misunderstanding of human nature. And so you have to impose Marx the Marxist ideology and communism mm-hmm. on people because they,
1: they're not going to choose it for themselves. Just look at Chile versus Venezuela. It's like so clear examples, two countries that were in some way struggling. Chile went the capitalist route, had some bad stuff happen. OK, not going to say it was perfect. Obviously, Pinochet. Not totally the best guy, but <laughs> Chile, great economic boom because of capitalism, free market principles versus Venezuela, leftist socialist principles where power trickled to the top and and everyone on the bottom suffered.
0: Right, I mean capitalism appeals to human truth, and again that sort of uh, reasonable self interest or a rational self interest, as Taylor would say, uh, and. Marxism appeals to the emotional appeal in human beings and saying but but what about this sad thing mm-hmm. what about somebody incapable of this and it appeals to the outliers of a society that is not the typical it's not the typical human being it's not the average citizen and you can hear that and go well, oh my gosh what about that person what about poverty what about death which is you know two things that i'm scared of as a person and if i can implement a system that saves everybody from poverty and it saves everybody from death and it saves everybody from having to experience Apparel, offense sadness anger then of course I'm going to support that but there's no uh, there's no reliable link to make sure that Marxism actually does that and we know that it doesn't but it's so easy to fall victim to that sort of thinking
1: I know and I just hate that people say that Marxist ideas sound like utopia on paper they sound so good on paper they don't sound good on paper they sound bad on paper and they sound bad out loud too they sound bad however you put them out there. because I don't they know. Ju- No, because they don't. Because it's inherently selfish. It's a selfish ideology. It tells you that you have to take from someone else because other people are oppressing you. What is, I understand. What is the religion of Christianity teacher, or the Judeo-Christian God? He doesn't tell you that there are these oppressors who are you know, taking something from you and you have to take it back from them and restructure society. It tells you that you have these morals that you have inside of you and that you have to fight against your own nature. In Christianity, in that religion, you are fighting against right. yourself in so many ways versus fighting against someone else that someone else right. can say, I'm right. propagating up. That's why it sounds bad.
0: But Marxism, obviously, in, in in some way, shape and form sounds appealing. Like Look at this. Look at this right. screenshot here. Sharing what we have. Oh, that sounds great. That sounds utopic. That sounds amazing. From each sound, according. I
1: don't know. I don't want to share what I have.
0: Well, that's because you have if knowledge. If I have now. extra,
1: I want to share. But
0: it's
2: exactly. Right. But you if you were know, a marginalized person
1: who was under the
2: average, and then you would be like, you would yeah, think I this sounds
0: that. beautiful. Yeah, you, you would you... want someone and,
2: else to share with and you. And if yeah, I mean, not to share your own. But I think it, you, you, it appeals to the idea that, oh, I, I can like, there are some rich people who are like, yeah, I, want, I gladly pay my taxes and I want them redistributed to people.
0: Right. It appeals to it the idea. Because it makes them feel virtuous. Yeah. Because this person is successful and I'm not, them sharing that with me would be great. And it appeals to this sort of uh, altruistic feeling that all humans have that if I was successful, I would share too. And then Marxism goes, well, you're not, but we can force other people to share with you. And of course, you're going to be like, oh, yes, I support that. Because if I was successful, I would share what I have.
2: Yeah, and when what it does and without with the part that gets left out is that the whole idea of Marxism undercuts the incentive to be productive. Yes. And so no one is now incentivized to innovate, to create, to to meet the needs of other people. Uh, and the only way they're incentivized to do that is if they are indoctrinated with the, I need to do this for the good of the state and the good of the society and all that stuff. Right. Or they're forced to at gunpoint. And that's why productivity and market, like, that's why people are looking for lunch out of garbage cans in Venezuela when these ideas are implemented. Because you completely undercut the incentives of production. Because people aren't who have rational self-interest cannot reap the fruits of their own labor. And that's why, like, when you put taxes too high, what what happens? Uh, productive Billionaires and pay, or the productive people who own companies, when you tax, even small business owners, when you tax them too high, they, they leave or the it withers up the productivity because you, you have, people
1: have to be able to reap the fruits of their own labor to some degree um, to incentivize productivity. And then what happens in the society that we have now is that the rich corporations, the leftists and the lobbyists, mm-hmm. are essentially going in and lobbying the government so that they don't have to pay any taxes. I mean, look at Amazon paying zero dollars in taxes. Absolutely. Insane that they are right. doing that, and then the tax burden goes on the middle class to pay for the poor, mm-hmm. and then the rich, richest rich, of the people aren't actually paying any taxes. So it's like that's what happens in Marxism: is that the richer get richer, and the middle class gets destroyed, and then you have everyone being poor. That is exactly what. Yeah, happens.
0: that's what happens, but that's not the narrative that they sell to you. So if I'm a young person hearing from each according to his ability to each according to his needs, of course I'm going to be like, "That sounds great. That sounds amazing. I mm-hmm. would love that if I got that." i can only do what i'm capable of doing and that's no more no less and i will get everything that i need to be to lead a sustainable life i think that does sound like it would sound appealing to any young person
1: fine
2: (laughs) if it sounds appealing to you you, okay (laughs) it's a it's a simplistic framework that also excludes the notion of personal responsibility
0: or the notion of reality yeah i mean that too it, it misunderstands it fundamental human reality.
2: nature, and it, yeah, it uh, excludes the need for individuals to be virtuous.
0: Do you want to keep going on this five-minute video, or do we? <laughs> no, we don't. Have, we don't have to finish the video, no. but okay. I feel like we. I we, think we summed up.
2: We summed, I mean, <laughs> at it, least our general. It, it can't be, be like it's like we oh we're beating this to death, but in reality, like
1: people are still flirting with these ideas yeah. and there's something people here's, in communist China got actually beat to death yeah. because right. people in America didn't beat it to death in the first place right okay I, w- I do want to do this quick thought experiment okay
0: yes
2: okay. people do the the baby Hitler thing if you could go back in time and kill baby Hitler like is that moral but here's another question like similar but not um, yeah. <laughs> if you go back in time and stop Marx from being born or kill him as an infant or whatever and stop his his specifically his ideas from coming <gasps> to the world would not, not would you do it uh-huh. but would someone else have come up with the same ideology? Yes. Yeah. I you think, you think so.
0: so. I think so.
1: Well, yeah, because, like, even going into America, some of the pilgrims who came in, they came in. Some of you guys might not know this. It's actually quite interesting. Some of the pilgrims who came into America, some of the first ones to arrive on the east coast of this country, set up camps, set up their little colonies, and they. St- flirted with what you would call essentially by the definition socialism where they had communal workers and everyone would take their food and they would take it to the big pot of food in the middle and then everyone would divvy right. up and share and what did they find they found that people didn't work as hard they found that if you if the food's just going to be laid out for them they're not actually going to go and work and these are people who you know probably have never read Marx before in their life they just thought this seems like a fair thing to do so these ideas totally would have developed they did develop they've been tried for centuries and centuries and i'm pretty sure mm-hmm. what i'm talking about right now is before marx even wrote uh yeah you know communist manifesto so mm-hmm. yeah these ideas have been around for a long time but isn't that interesting like
2: yeah. we we demonize Marx specifically and i mean obviously he was one of the first people to really organize all this and, yeah. and give the framework that people could you know take his writings and and use them as a framework to build their own versions of this utopia. But this utopian dream is not something that's new or unique to Marx. And it's like, I don't know, like that's why I said, I think it's sort of the anti-Judeo-Christian type of framework of approaching right. society. is kind of built on a materialist worldview. And anyway, I mean we're getting right. more into... No, it's
0: so, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's so instinctual to see what other people have and see what you don't and then long for that and then feel bad for, for others that have less than you do and then think that there should be some sort of great equalizer among all of that. Uh, so I think the ideas would have been born again.
1: The equalizer, Wayne Rooney, <laughs> Wayne Rooney with the field goal. <laughs> Sorry, soccer (laughs) reference, you guys.
0: I'm gonna take us into our last story of the day. Uh, and we'll, we'll see how the, the chat responds to this one, but this is an interesting story that came out today. OnlyFans is to bar sexually explicit videos starting in October. For those of you unfamiliar with the platform that is OnlyFans, uh, it, it's a, a relatively new platform that has millions, hundreds of millions of users, yeah. uh, but its primary purpose is for uh, women and men to post sexually explicit content, videos, pictures, and is then paid for through a subscription base. Uh, now, they've amassed billions of dollars through this business and also created many million and billionaires uh, who, who sell their sexually explicit videos on this site but they've now decided to bar that from yeah this
1: is a sad production. day for Taylor <laughs> oh my. He's my <laughs> how am I going to make sense. money his out.
0: second income <laughs> has just been cut <laughs>
1: Yeah. People subscribe just for my insights. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's the podcast. We do the podcast again, just naked.
2: But yeah. funny
0: enough, guys, it's not because the CEOs and the board members of OnlyFans are against people uh, doing sex work or uh, selling sexually explicit videos. They are doing it because they've been unable to amass investors and get backing from banks who refuse to... Uh, Support sexually explicit videos in which kids could be groomed or something illegal could happen. So it's not because they're virtuous Right. Uh, I think what's important to back.
1: note here is that if you go on Instagram if you're a man and if you're a man on Instagram Probably on your explore page it's pictures of some hot chicks. Sure. That's just how it goes for most men. It's gonna be on there They push them to the top not right. not Tyler No, you don't see hot chicks. <laughs> All right. Hot men for Tyler We're <laughs> using hot chicks in this scenario. Okay but you see them, and then if you ever click on their profile, so many of these girls who post very clad in bikinis and things like that on our lingerie have an OnlyFans. Right. And it's like, I think the main problem is is that we have created a society and a culture that tells people that, okay, times are tough in America or they don't really know what to do, and so the best solution for them is to go and sell their body online. Right. And I think that's a, a bigger ailment or sickness of our culture. Then, you know, I think a lot of people realize. You have all the guys in our culture being Uber drivers and then all the women going and being only fan stars and it's like that seems to be a pretty big problem.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a problem that I recognized uh, first getting on TikTok and I when I was was starting to make conservative videos online, I hopped on TikTok. That was the first platform that I was on. And scrolling through it, all you would see are these young 20-something girls saying if you've been looking for a sign to get on OnlyFans, or if you've been looking for a sign to become a stripper, or this and that, here's your sign. And they hold up stacks of money, they go through their bank statements, and I'm, I'm talking tens of thousands of dollars made in, in weeks doing things on these platforms. And, and it's not to say that if you are a grown woman and you wanna do that for your job, okay, whatever, that's a whole different discussion. But what it does is apps like TikToks have a, an extremely young, impressionable audience. So now you have 12 and 13 year old girls seeing this content, aspiring to to be these women who make tens of thousands of dollars a month sell it uh use it to just buy clothing and jewelry and and whatever they want and just to lead these lives that are based on sexual promiscuity and it has been influencing young girls to hop on only fans with fake ids and that has been a major problem that i've had with this app for a very long time so i'm happy to see this even though they're doing it for completely wrong reasons
1: i didn't even hear about that people with fake ids oh yeah and they're coming on and
0: yeah, so OnlyFans has been caught many times with this sort of sexual grooming because it's older girls saying, look at how much money I'm making. And then younger girls say, well, I want to do that, but I don't want to wait till I'm 18. I don't want to wait till I'm 21. Jeez. How can I get on now? I have an older sister. I have I have a cousin. I have this. And they hop on OnlyFans and they sell their jeez, explicit photos.
1: I didn't even know about that.
0: Right. And this, that, that has been my problem with this whole sort of platform and the fact that they make billions of dollars off there's of this sort also of...
1: A, there's a problem with so many men going and spending the money to give these women millions of dollars. Right. You know, yeah. and it's like, a, it's like, a cheap shortcut. It's, exactly. You're not, It. I, why do
2: I need to go out and, and, uh, you know, conquer the world and be an alpha male and accomplish things and, be competent and demonstrate my competence in society and climb the ladder and, and be responsible and be a good person and have good morals and earn the affection of a loving woman. Mm -hmm. When I can just, you know, spend a few bucks and, and get off on looking at pictures of these girls or connect with them or try to, you know, the the pay to do chats and stuff. And Mm -hmm. it's a, it's a cheap substitute for, uh, that keeps them, that's like Soma, you know, it keeps you from doing what you should be doing. And uh, it's not good for for men. It undercuts masculinity.
0: And it's a symbiotic relationship between men and women because they get men who get exactly what they want out of relationships without being in relationships. And then you get women who get exactly what they want out of relationships without being in a relationship. They get men who are willing to support them, to fund their habits, to buy them clothes, to make sure they're living in a nice apartment without actually being in a functional, strong relationship.
1: That's exactly right.
0: So, it's a sad reality.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, OnlyFans is off the market now. So, hopefully that actually does something uh, un- until OnlyFans 2.0 pops up and somebody else capitalizes on the idea.
1: Yep. you have to have no fans. <laughs> I reckon name it no fans.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, Will, you've, you've queued up this uh, rally that we're going to be on on Saturday. You want to speak about it?
1: Yeah, baby. Yeah, baby. Yeah, <laughs> baby. All right. So, Amla and I, if you yeah. can bring this up, Tyler, we are speaking at... A rally this Saturday in Santa Monica okay well Amala not to toot her horn okay but Amala has an incredible beautiful voice and I'm not sure if you guys knew that she is an incredible singer and so she has been asked to sing the national anthem the black national anthem
0: (laughs) Just the regular one. Just the
1: regular one. Lift every voice and sing. Yeah, lift every voice and sing. No, she'll be singing the real national anthem, and then I will be speaking along with some other people, Dr. Simone Gold, among others, maybe Robert Kennedy, some other people who they're trying to work uh, out and get there. But it's going to be a very large event, okay? This is in Santa Monica, so anyone who is in Los Angeles, this is going to be this Saturday at 12 p.m. 1615 Ocean Avenue, Santa Monica, California, when I posted my speech from the last one. And everyone saw it. They're like, I wish I knew more about these things. This is me telling you, okay? We're telling you. We're doing this this weekend. Come out and meet us. Come out and hear what we have to say and come and show your support. If you are someone who lives in Los Angeles or lives in California and you agree with what we're saying, then I better see you there this weekend, okay? Because if you're complaining about these things happening in your state, happening in your city, and then you don't show up, then it's your fault, okay? And I'm going to be strong with you and tell you that's the truth. You need to be there if this is something that you believe in. I'm not trying to shame you. Okay, I'm just saying.
0: And we'll care see about you it, there. Have to see you there. We will see you there.
1: Yeah, and tomorrow uh, Amal and I will also be hosting Dennis Prager's radio show again. Yes, so we that's will. From, that's from 12 to 3 Eastern.
0: Yeah, so. if you don't have his uh, radio channel where you are, you can go to YouTube, the very platform that we're on right now. Type in Dennis Prager Show, and he also streams the show. It's going to be a three hour show. Uh, you can stream it and listen to it on YouTube. A couple of super chats to get to before we close out for the day. Marshall Flick sent two. One is A lie told once uh, remains a lie, but a lie told a thousand times becomes the truth. And that's from Joseph Goebbels. Nice. Another one here from Marshall Flick Propaganda works best when those who are manipulated are confident they are acting on their own free will. Another one from Joseph Goebbels. Nice.
2: Yikes. Yikes. Also stay tuned for episode 200 of Fireside Chat. Very special episode coming out today at, I believe, 4 p.m. In half an hour. Pacific, half an hour, um, 7 p.m. Eastern. So check that out.
0: Thank you guys so much for supporting the show. If you like what we had to say today, please like, subscribe, click the notification bell to be notified every single day when we go live at 2.30 PST, 5.30 Eastern. And if you want to listen instead of watch, you can go to Google Play, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. Search for Will and Amala Live. You will find us. Please leave a five-star review for us. Thanks for watching, guys. Bye. Peace. Peace.